3: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel, fighting a cold
2: brown. They call me Ben, you are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Is
1: it weird that I was the only one that had a nickname? It was a descriptor. I just wanted to kind of give people that caveat, that glimpse into my personal life that I might sound weird.
2: No, I thought it was well done. I thought it was smooth. Makes sense. Thanks, Thanks, fellas. Yeah, of course. The episode you're tuning in to hear today is a sequel to uh, an episode we did... Earlier last week when we covered the top conspiracies about Donald Trump in our series, election part one. This is election part two, ladies and gentlemen. So what do you think we would, we would possibly cover? What in the, in the realm of wild guesses would be out there? Jill Stein? Is this a Jill Stein episode? You're getting closer. Okay.
3: Mm, Who's the guy in Utah? Evan. Brigham Young. Gary Shandling. McMillan. Oh. <laughs> Gary Shandling. Is it, this has got to be a Gary This Shandley is our Gary
2: Shandling episode. Yeah. Long Garry. time in coming. Uh, this is, uh, as, as you probably know, cause most people do check the title of a podcast before they listen. This is our follow up when we look at the top conspiracies concerning the Clinton campaign. Now, a lot of people were pretty, um, I don't know if one want to say sensitive. Passionate. Passionate's a great one on our YouTube channel where we released a, a video that was a, a sh- much shorter version, an abbreviated version of top Trump conspiracies. Uh, a lot of people didn't, didn't think we were going to do, uh, the same thing with the Clinton campaign. And I just have to say I spent a lot of time going in comments and replying to people with, when you watch the video you're commenting on, you'll see that we say we're covering the Clinton thing. And, and I can understand <laughs> that politics can be, um, you know, a very touchy subject for a lot of people. But we endeavor to, we endeavor to be as objective as possible, reporting what other people are telling us and then exploring it a little bit, which means the first thing we have to do is a bit of a disclaimer, just like we did in the earlier episode.
1: So like I said before, politics are passionate, touchy, if you will. Mm -hmm. In the United States, most citizens are what are known as low-information voters, which we talked about last week, meaning that a political party um, largely gets its support in much the same way as a a sports team or, um, you know, uh, a film star.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so people might say, I love the Dallas Cowboys, or I love the Atlanta Braves, no matter what. If they're doing a bad job, I still am committed to them, which doesn't really translate to, to politics, but it does have pose danger to uh, critical thought, right? Because after all, you don't want the other guys to win, do you? So you might still vote for stuff that you largely don't agree with. And that creates a situation where policy could take a backseat to spectacle, regardless of your political affiliation. Uh, it's it's pretty apparent that a lot of substantive policy conversation has been replaced with name-calling, soap opera-type language, spectacle, uh, television places purporting to be journalists are more concerned with who wore what, uh, rather than... The nuts and bolts of say a fiscal plan. So we did a two part series. We've got our work cut out for us. Both candidates are surrounded by conspiracy theories. And in this episode, we're looking at the democratic front runner for president just days before the election. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a collection publicly available facts, arguments and claims, uh, made for and against Hillary Clinton. Okay. Let's jump right into. Mrs. Hillary Rodham Clinton.
3: She was born in Chicago, Illinois, in 1947. She met her husband, William Jefferson Clinton, in 1971 at Yale. Oh, yeah, Prestigious. Uh, And they, you know, this is a... A, by no means an entire biography. If you want to watch that or learn about her biography, go to the Democratic National Committee's video that they made for the convention this year. Uh, it's narrated by uh, one of your favorite actors. Who, I'm sure there's
1: a fabulous A&E special about it from somewhere back in the day, too.
3: Oh, there is. And if you want to watch the propaganda version, it's the DNC one. Uh, it's beautiful. It's, t- it's touching.
2: You know, it's very nice. Fun fact for you guys, just to interject real quick. Uh, Hillary Clinton, or when she was born, Hillary Rodham, was uh born on October 26th, the same day that we're recording this episode. Whoa, it's like, her birthday? You know, years later. Yeah, it's actually her birthday. No. Yep. I think she's having a good one? I don't know, man. The stakes have got to be high. Yeah, the pressure. Does anybody have a good day if they're running for president this close to the election? <laughs> You know, I mean, That's a very good point you make, Ben. <laughs> okay.
3: So uh in 1975, uh Hillary and Bill married. So they became the Clintons. And that name, that uh power couple, the Clintons, will... Apparently he
1: kept making eyes at her in study hall. And finally she walked up and introduced herself and said, Well, if you're going to keep looking at me like that, you might as well know my name. I'm Hillary Rodham. And then she kissed him on the mouth firmly. And the rest is history. I feel like you're adding some details there. Is that
3: true? <laughs>
1: well, everything up to the, the passionate, <laughs> <mouthpiece>, but <laughs> you know that's the part they want uh,
3: you to believe. Uh, but yes, they became a power couple. That name, the Clintons, becomes synonymous with this uh, political power coming from the South, going up to Washington D.C. Um, it, it doesn't happen very often when Southerners get to go up there and grab the reins of power. Uh, I was thinking about Georgian, our Georgian president. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter that went up there um, trying to think of very many others.
2: <laughs> well, uh, the problem with Jimmy Carter is that while nearly everybody on any side of the aisle agreed that he seemed like a very nice, even noble personality, he wasn't as effective a president. Uh, so the interesting thing about this episode is that Bill Clinton, William Jefferson – mint julep clinton is going to pop up in this a lot and initially it might seem strange to say like well if this is about one person named clinton why do we keep talking about the other one and that's because they were inextricably aligned they were as matt said a a power couple so as they both rise to prominence uh bill clinton in legislative and public service and hillary in the world of private law they are uh working together and their opponents of course have some problems with working in in that regard right They're, that's where they say something's rotten mm-hmm. in the state of arkansas uh however if we're just sticking to the uh we're just sticking to the facts right now before we get into speculation we have the same ability that, uh, we have with Donald Trump, which is if you want to learn their current policies, it's just an internet search away. It's literally their name plus policies and it'll show up, um, in your search bar. It should, uh, display a list of quotations from these people, yep. actual quotes. It That's- has, a, it
3: has a pull down menu for each one, mm-hmm. which is really nice. So you can parse through it pretty quickly if you want
2: to, or you can take your time whether you support or oppose a candidate, I would say especially if you oppose a mm-hmm. candidate, it is your responsibility to know what you are supporting or opposing. Don't be that kind of person who just says, you know, my grandmother was a Republican or Democrat and my father was a Republican or Democrat and therefore I am whatever because of the family line. Cause the, <laughs> because the bloodline, that's not the best critical thinking. I think we can all agree. Uh,
3: one last thing on these uh, the search that you can do for policies. What you're not going to find in here are uh, quotes from anything that has been leaked from a third-party source about a candidate or even words spoken by a candidate that was leaked. Right. Yeah. You're not going to find those uh, in these Google searches for one reason or another.
2: Yeah, that's true. These are just on the record Mm -hmm. statements usually in the, in the mainstream. So you won't find any, um, you won't find any leaked audio or you won't find any leaked emails or transcripts or any of that stuff. Right. Uh, another thing, uh, that we know about is that similar to, the Donald Trump campaign in, in many ways over time, uh, the Clinton campaigns or actually Hillary Clinton, the individual politician mm-hmm. has evolved their views. So these policy issues have changed over time. And of course that's often going to happen when someone has such political longevity as, as both of the Clintons. And originally, uh, you will hear people say that Hillary Clinton was in her younger days fairly conservative. So other experience, uh, Hillary Clinton... So we had said that Donald Trump rated um, his experience in the business world as equivalent to public service. Hillary Clinton has... Uh, Less business experience, more on the public service end. She was New York senator from 2001 until 2009. Then she was famously or infamously secretary of state from 2009 to 2013 after withdrawing, after conceding uh, the first presidential election she ran in. Uh, and then she worked closely with the then president, uh, Barack Obama, to enforce foreign policy. And her activities as secretary of state have given, uh, given rise to a lot of stuff that we'll hear about in our podcast. Another thing people say is, uh, people will rank her political activity when she was first lady, mm-hmm. uh, under the eight years of the first Clinton presidency as policy experience. And this will be both from her supporters and her opponents. So. She was widely considered by journalists to be one of the most politically active first ladies in office. You know, she had she had the first office in the West Wing. If you were getting interviewed for a position in Bill's cabinet, you might have to go through an interview with her team. And do you think interns were vetted? <laughs> i'm do sorry know. i'm sorry
3: all right. i I'm don't know do i wonder <laughs> it just it makes think, me wonder Joel? if that
2: happened <laughs> i don't know i heard they have an open marriage like how very house of cards huh
1: i mean I, I, that's that that gets floated a lot and given her you know toughness and uh, unflappability given all those uh sort of embarrassing things that came out would not surprise me.
2: So that's like the scuttlebutt, huh? (laughs) Uh,
1: Okay, my mom thinks that's the case. Let's put it that way. Okay, all right, (laughs) there we go. Now we
2: know. You know, you don't have to reveal your sources.
3: (laughs) Seriously. Hi, Mom. (laughs) Okay, just to drill back in, there is something to say, I think, about being in a room with these highly influential other political uh, people who are – who are influential themselves on anything, like whether it's a another governor, a senator, a congressperson, any of that stuff. Just having Hillary Clinton being able to speak with these people, like a, as a first lady, oh, that, in that absolutely position. counts as experience.
1: If you ask me, I mean, it's yeah. you know just literally experiencing the way that these deals are made, being in the room, you know, even if you are an unofficial vote, more or less. That is very real life experience that she can then apply to, you know, the rest of her career path. So I think it's very fair to say that her tenure as first lady awarded her some level of experience in, you know, policy.
2: And opponents who paint this individual as power hungry or something also point mm-hmm. to that as being, uh, policy experience. They will, they will. Say that it doesn't really count because it's underground and it was nepotistic. Yes. But, uh, they, but I think everybody agrees with Noel's point that this is, it is experience to be in the room when mm-hmm. that stuff happens. And then, uh, when we, when we mentioned some of the other stuff, uh, appointing vetting White House staff stance on gun control, one of the first big, uh, nationally recognized pushes in recent history, which sounds very qualified, <laughs> but I assure you is necessary, pushes for health care yes. came uh, from uh, Spearheaded, in many ways, or sponsored by uh, Hillary Clinton. And it was ultimately unsuccessful. But a lot of people talked about that plan when the next one, the universal healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, compromise the, the Obama, uh, care as it's so often called by its opponents or the affordable compromise act. Yeah. The ACA. Um, (laughs) 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 yeah, uh, when that came out, people thought it harkened back to, uh, in many ways, the Clinton, um, the Clinton plan, although it was actually based full of fun facts Mm -hmm. on Republican Mitt Romney's. Uh, original plan for Massachusetts. So, and it was more of a single payer plan,
3: like, a mm-hmm. you know, it seemed to be more open and quote liberal, you know, everybody pays, everybody gets healthcare kind of thing, almost a tax,
2: right? Yeah. And this is, uh, you, you know, there, we could do a whole episode. Yeah, exactly. On this healthcare thing, but let's point out we've, we've given just the bare bones facts, we haven't delved into. Anything and we haven't really said anything controversial yet. Not yet. This is just stuff. Yeah. But wait. (laughs) Uh, Noel, is it true that some people say there's more to this story? Story, 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 story,
1: Oh, Ben, you know there's more, but first we have to cliffhang with a sponsor break.
5: visit livenation.com/concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul 41, 30 seconds to Mars oh and 2 Door Cinema Club
2: here's where it gets crazy so first
3: things first gentlemen let's focus on Hillary Clinton pre uh, running for president right that sounds like a good idea and for this let's jump all the way back to good old 1979 at something that was occurring that would later known, later be known as the Whitewater Scandal. Now, in 1979, the Clintons are living in Arkansas and they decide to take out a $20,000 loan in order to make a down payment on another loan of roughly $200,000, uh, with a couple of people on a land venture. They're gonna buy a bunch of land. And this is land that's in the Ozarks that it's a huge purchase of $1.4 million for this giant tract of land. And then the Clintons are going to get a part of it, right? As a couple. And the plan was to flip it, right? Yeah. You buy this land and we're going to sell it to a bunch of Yankees who are going to come in and they call them, uh, what it, like, uh, winter birds. I forget what they call, it, what the terminology is. Snowbirds. snowbirds. Yes. And flip the, this land in the Ozarks that's by river. They're going to love it. We're going to make so much money. So that's 1979. Then you jump forward. Oh, by the way, we should we should note here um, around this time, Bill Clinton is running for governor in Arkansas. Uh, Hillary Clinton is working at a what is it? Rose is that what it's called? The um, law firm. Yeah. The law firm, uh, Rose Law Firm. It's it's very prestigious in this area, and. They're not making a ton of money. Ben, I think when we looked at it, it was around fifty thousand dollars together. Some that
2: something like that combined income. Sure. At the time, Bill Clinton was working as the uh, AG, the Attorney General in Arkansas. So his salary in uh, the late seventies was about twenty six thousand five hundred dollars. If his campaign for governor succeeded, he would uh, he would get around a $10,000 bump to 35 grand. Uh, Hillary Clinton's salary at the time was 24,000 or 24,500 and that's $51,173 in 1978 dollars. Yeah, so not bad. No, in 2015 dollars, that would be 186,000. So not hurting for money by any means.
3: Not hurting for money, but regardless, they took on a $20,000 loan to take on another $200,000 loan.
2: And they didn't do it alone. No. They didn't get the loan alone. Correct. They had uh, two partners, uh, Jim and Susan McDougal. Oh, the McDougals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with these four people were complete owners of a thing called, uh, the Whitewater Development Corporation. They all had equal shares and their sales pitch was one weekend here and you'll never want to live anywhere else. It's, it's so funny because for a long time there was no property on
3: the land that they owned. they they just said, well, here's the property. You, you know, imagine. Imagine living here on this property. Uh, but Hillary took out a loan in her own name for 30 grand or so and they decided to build like a spec house like uh, an example of what it would look like so you could really envision your dreams living here. Like the model home from arrested development. Precisely like this.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: what was the name of that development?
2: Sudden Valley. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Love. That's a good name. So, uh the allegations here that started start piling up a uh, spoiler alert everyone the white water development corporation did not do well no at all it, it tumbled and it fell uh and part of the reason this happened was because toward the end of 1979 interest rates had spiked to nearly 20 percent. so people who would have bought a vacation home decided not to do it as matt said uh Jim asked the Clinton family for more uh more cash to mm-hmm. pay interest on the loan. The Clintons uh later, and this is important, said they had no knowledge how this was used. Um eventually Jim decides to go into banking and he gets the bank of Kingston in nineteen eighty in a place called Woodruff Savings and Loan in eighty-two. He renames them Madison Bank and Trust, Madison Guarantee Savings and Loan. Uh and then Starts, the money starts getting sticky, right? Cause he, uh, he holds a fundraiser at Madison guaranteed to pay off Clinton's 1984 campaign debt of 50 grand. Uh, some of that's in McDougal money. Some of it's in Madison money. Uh, then he starts getting embroiled with, um, what arguably would be, a, nepotistic interest or corruption. Oh yeah. Yeah. So in eighty six, federal regulators realized that the um that some of his activities seemed pretty sketchy. So in eighty five he had started a uh construction project called Castle Grande. But the regulators in eighty six thought that was a sham, just a way to move some money. Uh so Grande earned 2 million in commission and fees from McDougall's business buddies, as well as some legal fees for Rose Law Firm, but it collapsed in 89 and cost the government $4 million. Uh, this triggered the collapse of the Madison Guarantee. Federal regulators had to take over and the failure of this is estimated, of Madison Guarantee, estimated to cost the U.S. $73 million. So people will say that the Clintons had knowledge of this and participated knowingly in a financial conspiracy, a scam. That's that's what the opponents will say, or the people who believe in this theory. Well, and they'll also
3: point to this as evidence of pay-to-play with both of the Clintons, because uh, right after all this stuff started going down in 1979, uh, Bill Clinton was elected the governor, and then McDougal, Mr. McDougal, uh, was brought on into the state government as an economic development aid. Jim? Good old Jim McDougal, yeah, was brought on uh, like into the into Bill Clinton's government. Let's talk a little bit m- more about this
1: idea of pay-to-play, because that's been something that's been coming up a lot uh, in terms of potential conflicts of interest that have revealed themselves through some of the leaked emails, the WikiLeak emails. All right. Let's what what, what, just – What's a kind of base level description of what pay-to-play means in this context as applied here and maybe even to what's been going on with like the Clinton Foundation?
3: Well, I've got a quote here. This quote comes from Stephen Sanders, who was in 1979 a director of Citizens Bank and Trust, I'm assuming uh, somewhere in Arkansas, uh, possibly near the Ozarks. I'm not sure. But he says, quote, you do things for a guy and you get him indebted to a degree. At least you get access. So ultimately, ultimately what it means is paying a little bit of money, either in a donation, say to a foundation or to a campaign, or in this case to a land deal, a loan for a land deal. And then you get a favor. You get appointed to a position. You, you know, you get preferable treatment in some other deal of some sort. That's the whole idea even if it's just access of being in the same room, just being in the room, just having an audience.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I thought. So while this stuff all, all starts happening in the late seventies, eighties, it really comes to a head in the national media. A, A lot of people don't know about this. And frankly, a lot of people tune out when they feel like they have to spend more than five minutes learning something. So you hear, you know, um, political figures in Arkansas implicated in uh, financial dealings, land swaps, and uh, even cattle futures come to <laughs> play a role. So a lot of people, a lot of people, this just sort of whooshed over their heads until uh, 1992 when a New York Times reporter asked Bill Clinton about the failure of the Whitewater Development Corporation. And then they report it. And when it's in the Times, a paper of note, people take what? Note. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Nailed it. And so in 1994, a fellow named Kenneth Starr was appointed by a three judge panel to continue this Whitewater investigation. Uh, and he was, he was replacing a guy named Robert Fisk. Robert Fisk had been appointed by the attorney general, uh, to head this Whitewater investigation to see what was, um, what was going on with those transactions? Uh, were they legal, right? To see, and there were allegations, two big allegations surfaced. One, that Bill Clinton pressured a businessman in Arkansas named David Hale to make a loan that would benefit Clinton and uh, the owners of Madison Guarantee, uh, the McDougals. And two, that an Arkansas bank had concealed transactions involving uh, the Clinton campaign in 1990. So the President actually got subpoenaed in May of 94, but then in August 94, when they bring Kenneth Starr on, they do it to replace Fisk because Fisk had originally been chosen and appointed by Janet Reno and oh. Janet Reno was an attorney general working for Clinton. So, you know, you can see how that would, that would be a, a pretty solid conflict of interest mm-hmm. or at least potential for that. So here's what David Hale said. He said, while Clinton was governor of Arkansas, he was pushing David Hale to uh, make an illegal three hundred thousand dollar loan to Susan McDougal, who was one of the partners in that Whitewater deal. What happened was that the testimony started not to not to work out, and and the FBI noted that um, his original testimony, apparently, according to them. Did not include Bill Clinton at all. So Clinton mm-hmm. said, "You know, I never asked this guy to do this thing." Uh, at that point, Hale had already pled guilty to two felonies, um, and they said, "Well, you know, things will go easier for you if you testify against uh, Bill Clinton." So this drags on; it's like six years ongoing, all told, and it expands. Kenneth Starr expands it into other things that are, um, not really related. Unethical still, but not really related, like the Monica Lewinsky stuff. And this, uh, this entire time, though Hillary Clinton is also being, is also one of the people of interest in here. Eventually Jim and Susan McDougall were convicted on, uh, several different charges. One, uh, that Susan McDougall got was, uh, uh for contempt of court because she refused to answer some questions. Uh-huh. Uh when Bill Clinton left in during his final days in the presidency, he pardoned Susan McDougal. Well, well, well. Uh and James McDougal, after agreeing to cooperate with Ken Starr, he died in prison, allegedly at the hands
3: of some unknown Clinton henchman within the prison. Uh that's that's a theory put forth by several people, one uh, one caller to Rush Limbaugh at the time said, quote, chalk up another body to Clinton. Well, that seems legit.
2: Well, I mean, there are multiple people. It wasn't. Yes, this is just a quote. This is just a quote. Right, so a guy named Vincent Foster is working as a deputy White House counsel when he's found dead in Virginia's Fort Macy Park in July of 1993. His death was officially ruled a suicide, but uh, there's an attorney named Miguel Rodriguez, who was uh, the head investigator for Kenneth Starr at the time. He disagreed. Instead, he alleged Vince Foster was clearly a victim of murder and authorities uh, Star included, had suppressed evidence of a second gunshot wound through Foster's neck. To a lot of people who believe uh, that Vince Foster was murdered, they don't think he was uh, only indirectly murdered by the Clintons, but also just one of many alleged victims. So despite multiple investigations concerning the Whitewater scandal and related things that Ken Starr um, shot for in his report, uh, the Clintons themselves were never prosecuted. No jail time, no fines, no, um, no need to, I guess, publicly apologize mm-hmm. if they did anything wrong or, um, they just said that the system checked into it and the system found no crime, but this leads to something else. And if you want to learn more about this
3: specific case of Vincent Foster, uh, a lot of the details, you can find an FBI inside the FBI vault. There is a huge list of documents where there are official statements, findings, evidence, all that kind of stuff. Um if that that's if you want to see the official side. If you want to continue on down that rabbit hole um more on the conspiratorial side, you can look up the strange death of Vincent Foster colon and investigation that's by Christopher Rudy or Ru- I think it's Rudy. And he has been right. He wrote about this then and he's continued to look into it since then. It's a fascinating story. It's got lots of intrigue. And I would say, you know, uh go for it. If you want to investigate more.
2: Right. So that sounds like the accusation here is that not one, but two people were somehow killed because they crossed the, uh, the Clinton, um, administration, at least for the people who believe that. However, that's just the beginning of a rabbit hole.
3: Yeah. Did we already, did we mention that Vince Foster was allegedly having an affair with Hillary Clinton? No. According to several sources, they had been having this ongoing affair hmm. and he knew he knew certain things that maybe he shouldn't have known. That's that's at least according to Rudy. He knew too much things. Oh, yeah, and one of them was about the Whitewater scandal itself and the money that they owed people and, you know, the people that owed them money. And then, I don't know, it it gets all wrapped up. It's this huge, it's quite sordid. It it is. It's insane. And,
2: again, there's an entire book you can read to learn more about it. And this isn't just, uh, as we're seeing it, one Or two people, this is the beginning of a rabbit hole that many of you have written to us before about and asked us to check out. And that is the Clinton body count.
3: So the idea here is that the Clinton family and their associates have uh, routinely been murdering anyone who crosses their rise to power.
2: So some examples of this, these, this is a, a long list and it's a varying um, that's the best way to say it. it's a varying likelihood. So James McDougall, Mary Mahoney, who was a former White House intern, murdered 1997 at a Starbucks coffee shop in Georgetown. It happened uh, just after she was to go public with a story of sexual harassment in the White House. Again, according to the people who believe in the Clinton body count. Then there's Vince Foster, Ron Brown. Uh, this is someone who died in a plane crash. Uh, and a pathologist close to the investigation allegedly reported there was a hole in the top of his skull resembling a gunshot wound. C. Victor Razor II and Montgomery Razor, Ed Willie, a uh, Clinton fundraiser found deep in the woods uh, with a gunshot wound to the head in 93, uh, died on the same day his wife claimed Bill Clinton groped her in the Oval Office at the White House. The list goes on. You can find different versions of it. Um, I, I pulled up one that has 53 people on it, which means if it's remotely true, that's insane. How could the first question is, how could that happen without any repercussion? You know what I mean? Because whomever killed JFK had to go to a lot of trouble to get one person granted. That was the president. So it was a little tougher. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like trying to snipe a final boss in a video game, and I don't mean to be insincere. It really is had to be a difficult thing.
3: Within the list, there is even a sub-list of bodyguards who worked for the Clintons. There's a whole bunch of them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, Got like 12 bodyguards that are mm-hmm. listed here
2: as having died, according to this one source. Right, and so we read some examples of this with different – um Different causes of death, different ideas. And for people who don't believe in this, they'll say, well, you know, you're just reading tea leaves. You have confirmation bias. People just die all the time, but there are a lot of, uh, gunshot wounds here. Um, there are multiple on that list and they're grouped by. Purported information they would have on specific cases, right? That these people are known associates mm-hmm.
1: of the Clintons in some form or fashion. Yes.
2: Yeah. And so we, we wonder, you know, there's, it's, it's no secret, uh, that at the top of, at the, at the top of any hierarchy, there's going to be a lot of corruption, a lot of dirty deeds or Done, I guess, fairly expensively. I hate to break the lyrics there. But uh, we had another another guy who shows up on the list who might be familiar to longtime listeners is a guy named Danny Casalero, an investigative reporter who slit his wrist, purportedly, in the middle of his investigation. I think after he said, Hey, if someone tells you that I killed myself, don't believe it. Yep. Yeah. And you know, we also know that these kind of political murders just in general across the globe, without saying we found any, any proof, any solid proof on the Clinton side, we can say that we know these kind of murders occur like that, uh, intelligence operative for MI6. Is it MI5 or MI6 who apparently locked himself in a duffel bag? Yeah. All yeah. folded up. Yeah. And then, you know, how many times like how, do, how does somebody just run into polonium? I think the the russian uh the Russian faction or intelligence service that did that clearly wanted people to know it was Russia.
1: I like to keep some around just in case just to have
2: yeah just for like for the table mm-hmm. take care I'll take care of the cheese dip if you've got the polonium. that seems reasonable, Ben our parties are great, Matt, can you bring fun hats? yeah, I've got a whole truckload of those, okay. Uh, so we've got our fun hats, polonium, and cheese dip sorted, which I guess means it's time to, uh, move on to something else. The Clinton Foundation. This was a big one too. So, uh, according to, uh, several, several different sources, uh, there are allegations about the Clinton Foundation and the phrase we mentioned earlier, pay to play. So, a lot of folks who are opponents of the Clinton campaign argue that there is dirty money that was going into the Clinton Foundation during um, Hillary Clinton's time as secretary of state. And that this uh, this money was essentially functioning as a bribe to have Clinton use her influence at the State Department to get a more favorable outcome for somebody you know like 12 million from the from the king of morocco to the foundation and uh the the question is like how much how much influence really occurred there we do know in the past that there there have been political machines where someone says you know well donate to my uh my uh, home for elderly orphans and i will make sure that you get that Uranium mine that you wanted. And, uh, yeah. I don't
1: know. It sounds more to me like a meet and greet, you know, with a rock band or your favorite singer,
3: you but, know? But didn't we just discuss that that meet and greet session alone can be uh, some form of influence?
1: That's true. But so could meeting in sync. You know, if I paid a bunch of money to go to a meet and greet within sync and they just happened to, you know, make me the fifth member of NSYNC. How many people were in NSYNC? I forget. You know, that that would be life-changing for me and totally worth the investment. But that isn't necessarily going to happen. That's not guaranteed to happen, right? No, it's but it's potential for it to happen. So is this kind of behavior illegal?
3: Hmm. The legality is aside, I, I would just say that if you decide not to have that meeting, not to pay the money to go and have the handshake, then you're guaranteed to not be heard. On whatever issue it is you're trying to push. You gotta try. You know, I yeah. mean,
1: everyone's got their dreams. But no, seriously though, I mean, this is obviously a, an
2: ethical question,
1: but is it illegal?
2: Right. Yeah. And, and more importantly, are they actually using the foundation to launder money from shady characters or something like that? Uh, the show, uh, last week tonight had a, had a great piece on some of these implications and indictments. For instance, you know, you could read a headline that says, King of uh, Morocco or um, elderly Nazi or whatever, donates money to Clinton campaign and then they make a deal with someone else. But depending on the way the money is distributed to a foundation or what kind of faucet it comes out of, The person who is behind the money may never be revealed. You might just say, like, here's a $12 million donation from the committee for research into, um, extraordinary remarks. And you will have no idea that's, you know, George Soros or the Koch brothers or, um, who's like the most evil person right now? Rothschild? I don't know. I don't know.
3: The Philippines head.
1: So I guess the takeaway here. And what makes a lot of people uneasy about Mrs. Clinton is the perception that she is for sale to the highest bidder. If you donate money, mm-hmm. then she'll get in a room with you and there's potential that she'll do
2: you a solid. And use a vampire voice too, like, what would you like from the people of Montana?
1: Or more like a, you know, Godfather voice where it's like,
2: and it's the day of my daughter's birthday.
1: well may call upon you one day to do a kindness to me. That's, how <laughs> That's, That's
3: That could be happening right now, as it is the day of her birthday. That's or, true. Or
2: maybe it's a Bobcat Goldthwaite voice. Oh, really? <laughs> or a, or, a, or a
1: Gilbert Godfrey voice. <laughs>
2: oh, can only hope. Um, but. I don't know. I've, I've never been. You know what
1: I mean? I I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is like, no, it's not illegal, but it sure does call into question
2: this person's, um, integrity, integrity. Yeah. It definitely could look bad. You know what I mean? Uh, and this, this is called, yeah, this is called in question, uh, numerous times. People have, people have mentioned it in this debate, um, or this current. Political cycle and have mentioned it before the uh, Clinton Foundation though is a is a powerful global entity. You know what I mean, so it 's going to get money from a lot of places, even Morocco, even Morocco. So another thing that we've heard about pretty often is the Benghazi attack uh, in 2012. This would be while uh, Hillary Clinton was still Secretary of State. Uh, there was an attack on an American diplomatic compound in Benghazi, the Libyan consulate. Uh, it resulted in the death of the U.S. ambassador to Libya um, as well as some Officers, uh, the death of information management officer, Sean Smith, a lot of the Libyans, the local Libyans. Uh, condemned the attacks, just thought this was disgusting. This got picked up um, to the tune of like eight separate congressional investigations uh, attempting to discern who is at fault and different conspiracy theories sprang up around the idea that um Secretary of State Clinton was either responsible through negligence or even some purposeful thing. That's largely been put to bed in the mainstream. uh Fox News came out and reported on it and said that after the investigations, well, actually, I have a quote here. Would you guys like to hear it? Please. All right. Here's the quote. The House Committee investigating the deadly terror attack in Benghazi today released its report. After a two-year, $7 million investigation, the eighth investigation to date, the authors of the report make no new accusations or provide no new evidence of wrongdoing against the former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. So for many people who are opponents of uh, the Clinton family, they're thinking, oh, they just house of cards it once more and somehow finagled their way out of something – but for other people, it's like, uh, did the, did political opponents just attempt to make, uh, um, a means of attack, right? And that's a good question whenever you are this far along in the election process. And these are all things that happened before Hillary Clinton was this far, like was even <clears throat> really running, uh, for president the, for the second time, for the second time. Yeah. So. That leads us to the but wait, there's more moment, which is what happens during the election.
1: Well, I think we've about made it to modern day, shall we say, Um, with all the hubbub going on right now with this uh, 2016 presidential election. But before we hop into that good stuff, let's just take another quick little sponsor break.
5: Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
0: So the
2: allegations reached a fever pitch. The conspiracies on both sides uh, became more and more frequent and more and more, I guess, prominent in the national debate when the elections uh, and the campaigns actually began. The biggest one, of course, which we had mentioned before, is the idea that there was a rigged election.
3: Yeah. in the primaries first with the DNC working in uh, with the Clinton campaign to make sure that. Hillary Clinton would be the nominee and to shut out Bernie Sanders, who was gaining more and more popularity as they got towards the convention. Especially considering the DNC
1: chair, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, um, had worked with Hillary Clinton on her previous campaign.
2: Yes. Yeah. Uh, and was the head of, you know, the DNC. So supposed to play fairly at all times. However, it seems like they haven't, um, seems like that when the rubber hit the road, that was not the case and it was strange because for a lot of people who were supporting Bernie Sanders on the democratic side of the debate, uh, they were feeling in a way this very similar to what some trump supporters were probably feeling where they thought, you know, this was a candidate who was running not just against the other party, but against the big wigs and the fat cats of the establishment and the their fat own party. wigs, the fat wigs and the big, big cats, cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and
1: <laughs> all the fancy pants, and unicorns
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with their unbendable pinkies and their monocles and their uh cravats, yeah, the, their bubble pipes, their fa- fancy pretzels, it's true. True. Nothing but the best. Uh, but yeah. We kid, but you know. We kid, but those are all real things. Well, the, the actual people who control the system currently. Yeah, aka the political class. So they felt many of these people were Bernie Sanders supporters, felt that they were, um, they were being suppressed by this system that was built to, um, create the illusion of choice rather than the actual agency of choice. Debbie Wasserman Schultz got a lot of flack from that. And to be honest, looking at it, this is just my opinion. It doesn't look good. It certainly doesn't look unbiased.
1: No, I mean, there was a lot of internal discussion about more or less undermining the Sanders campaign, you know, or like bringing up um, questions that would make Bernie Sanders look bad in terms of his religious beliefs. That was sure. one that got uh, put out there. Um and, you know, just just the general tone was not one of impartiality.
2: Yeah. I was saying stuff like, we'll do whatever we can to ensure the Clinton presidency. And it's strange. There there's something else here that makes me wonder. Um you know, people people don't just allege that the DNC was um was corrupt they also allege people uh, who support trump or support um another candidate like stein or johnson or whomever including donald trump himself allege that the current election is rigged which we talked a little bit about last week that's the idea that the trump and
1: clinton campaigns were actually working together in concert in beautiful glorious political Music making concert with one another to guarantee Mrs. Clinton's election. So the idea that Donald Trump himself was a, was running a false flag campaign mm. to benefit the Clinton campaign.
2: Yeah, you sum it up beautifully. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but to go, uh, just a step further with this, uh, there are people who will argue that this decision over the identity of the next president was decided back in Barack Obama's first term when uh, when Clinton was given the the door prize of American politics, which is the secretary of state. position.
3: Yeah. yeah. And essentially that she gave up the nomination. She endorsed Barack Obama at the. Um, what the DN at, at the, the Democratic National Convention in, oh, I guess that was 07, 08 when that was occurring. And in order to do that, she was like told, yeah, no worries. You're next in line.
2: And that's sort of, you know, we saw, um, well, we saw John Kerry, the, um, former would-be president also get secretary of state. John Forbes Kerry, by the way, speaking of big wigs. Eesh. Yeah. Uh not but, to mention his wife Teresa Hines. I know, Gary. man. Whoa, man. It's that sweet ketchup money. I hope I hope what I hope at some point one of them has said that.
1: This is this ketchup money kinda like blood money? <laughs> but it's much sweeter. Yeah. It's only for college
2: films. <laughs> better on hot dogs. Yeah, <laughs> it's way better on hot dogs. I was thinking the same thing. Uh so yeah, that that allegation goes up to this idea that there exists a political class in this country and this political class, uh, it, it's far more concerned with the electoral than the popular votes, right? And is completely happy to have you, me and the average Jane John Doe American, uh, more concerned with sound bites and political jokes or spectacle, bread and circuses, than to hear what candidates actually want to do. That's why we wanted to open both of these with recommending that you go check out the policies of both of the front runners, uh, especially the one you disagree with. Yeah. You should know what you're disagreeing with. Unless, of course, all of those things that you're
3: reading are not the actual policy stances of the people that are running for an office, because... Instead they say those things uh behind closed doors to like during a fundraiser or because they're getting paid two hundred thousand plus dollars to speak.
2: Oh right. Yeah, that goes back to uh some of the leaked transcripts and stuff about uh the Clinton conversations with uh Wall Street. Yeah, you've got to have
3: a public policy stance and a private policy stance.
2: And in her defense, when she said, when she was, somebody asked her about that, she yeah, said it, really it was a be. reference to Abraham Lincoln's work, <laughs> yeah. uh, men reuniting the country after the civil war.
3: Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, it sounds noble at the same time. It's just politics as usual, does as it, we understand. Does it sound right?
2: noble or does it sound duplicitous? I
3: mean, I wasn't
1: going to say that, but yes. I mean, I don't know. Abraham Lincoln had a pretty noble beard. You know, he strikes quite a noble figure. You know, but.
2: Yeah, but look at, you got, it, it's hard to trust you when you say stuff like that because you have an amazing beard. Oh, you think
1: I'm being duplicitous?
2: I think. I think Is it, it my beard? Is I think it because you, you might, can't see my face? I think you might have a conversational bias here. That's <laughs> fair.
1: That's fair. Well, you know, um, no, I just, I think it all comes down to this question of, you know, whether or not a candidate can be bought or if they are quote unquote of the people. Right. And, you know, even Barack Obama, not saying that he's been bought, But as much of a populist candidate in general as he seems to have been, sort of like a guy you'd want to have a beer with or, you know, go roller skating with or Uh something like that. I mean, you know, the guy has a public face and a private face and he's going to make decisions as needed. And he's he's not always necessarily trying to check off his list every single policy promise that he made when he was running. I mean, you say these things to get a certain demographic behind you and then once you
0: get elected it's sort of like all bets are off
2: yeah i was gonna ask like how much of this election stuff is pillow talk you know it's like oh baby yeah i love you i love you america come here it seems like that's what most of it is
3: and maybe it's always been this way it's just now Again, because of the internet and because of the advancements in technology, we kind of know better. At least more of us know better.
2: Yeah, one would one would hope, but there's uh, all right.
1: And that's the big argument that people are making about supporting Trump is that he represents. moving away from that, you know, where it's like, no, he says what he thinks. He's he's not full of it. You know, he is going to do what he thinks is best, whether or not you believe that what he thinks is best is, in fact, a good thing or not, is entirely different story.
2: They're kind of a what you see is what you get. What argument. you see
1: is what you get. There are people that are tired of this political, you know, jockeying and uh just pillow talk, as you say, Ben, I think that's completely accurate. And it's a little bit frustrating. And I think that's why a lot of people are are very disenchanted with the whole process and feel very hopeless about it.
3: It may also be why a little over 52% of the voters in this country in 2012 actually cast a vote for the presidency. Only a little over half actually voted, people
2: who could vote. And you guys know I'm pretty cynical about this stuff often because uh, people are going to show up once every four years to cast one vote and then say, well, I've, I've done my, done my bit. Mm-hmm. Now I'm purchasing my right to complain for the next four years. Here's a great example. I don't want to let this go by and miss this opportunity. Here's a, a great example maybe of public face and private face to take Noel's earlier, uh, earlier mention of Barack Obama, who by the, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out is still president for a little while. Um, so when, when originally the, that candidate, uh, was campaigning, they were promising the sun, moon, and stars, you know, to everybody, uh, better position for student loans, which are already burgeoning crisis, uh, better assistance for the average family and, Then closing Guantanamo Bay, ending some of the horrific, uh, quagmire events in the Middle East. But then later, you know, he didn't close Guantanamo. He's gonna try, I guess, but, uh, he also, he also helped invade Libya and told the domestic population of the United States that this was to protect our interest and a matter of human rights. It is confirmed by current leaks, uh leak documents from WikiLeaks primarily, that the real reason the West invaded Libya is because uh France wanted to keep the the franc that is used as currency in that part of the world as the dominant currency. Muammar Gaddafi with great reserves of gold wanted to unite the continent of Africa into a you know united uh united African Union and an AU to yeah. the EU, and then have a common currency there, which would empower a lot of these countries that have been systematically oppressed since colonialism, uh, so that their resources can be extracted and enable the lifestyles of the um, of the people who were born into these gigantic companies that would take over countries. Back in the day.
3: And, and once you get to that level, Ben, and you realize that that's what's at stake, these kinds of things are what it's, what's at stake. It, it makes me at least imagine that the president is not making these decisions, these decisions alone, that the president is not, um, maybe even as, oh God, personally, when I think about these things, Ben, it makes me see at least a a bit of a glimpse at something that I've thought for a while, and that's that the president, whoever it is, him or herself, is not as powerful as maybe we would like to believe. It's the humans that that surround the president that actually are the powerhouse in making these decisions, making these deals, deciding that we are going to go to war, or at least uh, speaking to the president's ear and saying, we need to do this, we need to get this done because of X, Y, and Z. What ends up happening is the
1: president becomes this... Figurehead that we hang, many people hang all of our hopes and fears, you know, and outrage on when things don't go as planned. When things are going well, at a boy, at a gal, president. But when things are crumbling, it's all about the president. Yeah, blame the president. That's the person that's out there in public that you can literally make the brunt of your frustrations. And you know, I mean there's something to be said about that as a sort of opiate effect of, you know, on the masses where you have this kind of targeted individual that people are able to praise or curse. Mm -hmm. And it sort of takes the um, focus off of, the machinations that are really at work.
2: I think that's a great point because when it goes to machinations that are really at work, if we talk if we take it back to that private public audience, uh Barack Obama's public audience was the American people and to mm-hmm. a lesser degree uh citizens of other countries uh to whom the US plays an instrumental role, like Canadians, right? And uh the private audience, however, was out, it was, it was out in France, lawmakers in France and NATO saying, look, guys, the franc is really big to us and we're buddies, right?
3: Well, oh, yeah. And OPEC, all, all of OPEC, right? <laughs> going, Hey, you know, we, uh, we actually need you to keep that money because we're backing all the oil with these currencies.
2: So yeah, we're going to need you to do something, America. I can't speak to any OPEC involvement. I just know that France was definitely.
3: Oh, sure. France definitely, definitely. but it's, I mean, Okay, let's just say they are monetarily involved even if they had no say. I see what his decisions.
2: And so sorry, we're getting uh, I got us a little bit off track here, but you you make a great point. So private public face email scandal that has been existing for a long time, still not prosecuted. Uh Hillary Clinton used a private email server based in the basement of her home that used to be uh part of her husband's home office, to hold thousands of official pieces of electronic correspondence. Why is this a big deal? Why does it matter? Great question. Well, it's because if you're Secretary of State, you're going to deal with quite a lot of classified material. It could be anything from just confidential all the way up to top secret, all the way up to some weird classification that I don't know of because I'm not the Secretary of State.
1: Nobody knows about it. And doing this was not without precedent, let's put out there. Colin Powell did this as well and discouraged Mrs. Clinton from doing it because of the potential of, for conflict of interest, he knew that it would be a headache. Right. And he probably almost wished he hadn't done it in the first
2: place. Like that old uh, Hank Williams song, "I've been down that road before." Hank Williams Senior. I don't know. I just <laughs> I was listening to it earlier. Good stuff. It's wise, it's a wise man. <laughs> Thanks. I'm just. I did. Uh, I didn't know I would work that hard to squeeze that one into conversation, but here we are, folks. Here we are. Uh, an FBI investigation into these private servers and some of the allegations of missing emails found that over 100 of the emails they surveyed contained confidential secret or even top secret data. Uh, in the course of their investigation, they concluded that the uh, Clinton campaign had been, or excuse me, the the Clinton administration Secretary of State, had been uh, extremely careless but that it was not a prosecutable offense. A lot of people who think this was uh, a shady or sketchy thing uh, point out that just a week before FBI Director James Comey announced that the Bureau would not file charges against Hillary Clinton for storing that uh, stuff on a private server, Attorney General Loretta Lynch had a private meeting with Bill Clinton on her jet in Phoenix, it was an unplanned meeting, allegedly. Uh, and they just talked about grandchildren and golf.
3: Yeah, it just happened to be
2: coincidental that the two of them met up as the scandal was unfolding. Well, of course, uh the New York Post reported that FBI agents believed there was an inside deal afoot. Um this uh this sounds like another another case of, you know what? Looks bad. It really does. And <laughs> What can you do about it? it? It's very tough for us. Former to... president goes on to a plane. <laughs> yeah. They can't meet at a restaurant. Yeah, come on. Or maybe security is better on a private plane. See, that's all it is. They just wanted to
3: say, hey, on the plane because of security. Done. And Case then, closed.
2: And then um, John Podesta, campaign manager for uh, Clinton campaign, gets his emails hacked. And you're getting a look at uh, a, lot of, a lot of the way that the organization works, um, WikiLeaks release these and WikiLeaks is releasing them and dribs and drabs at yeah, a time bursts. Mm-hmm. The idea being if they release them all at once, the mainstream media will suppress the story. But if they release them in small bursts, people will go hooked and continue to tune in at this point. Uh, there is no DOJ or FBI, um, proceedings against the Clinton family and, uh, either she or Donald Trump, unless something incredibly strange happens, are going to be uh, presidents uh, presidents of the United States. And it looks like we're running almost out of time. We've gone on for a while. But if you guys would like, uh, I could just read a list of some of the miscellaneous conspiracies that we didn't get to. You got a whole list? I have a whole list. So there's a lot of stuff that uh, alleges, uh, you know, Adult times shenaniganry like illegitimate children or different fathers. There's also a, uh, it's also a theory about body doubles we covered in another thing. Um, there's also this theory that when Bill Clinton was governor, the Clintons, uh, covered up a multi-million dollar cocaine smuggling ring based in Mena, Arkansas. Um, what? Yeah. I haven't Rev- even heard of that. Reverend Jerry Falwell, uh, distributed a thing about it called the Clinton Chronicles. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's all over the place.
3: And I remember one of the last ones, Ben, is that she's actually a Republican, that that Hillary Clinton is, in fact, a Republican in, in Democrat clothing. She's a dino. Mm-hmm. A
2: Democrat in name only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we know that we didn't get to everything for either Donald Trump or for Hillary Clinton, but we'd like to hear some of your thoughts on Apparently, this. she's also a demon. No demon. But Alex Jones. Both said, lizard people. Says that. Alex no. Jones said that. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't say that. He says
3: she's a demon. She smells of sulfur.
2: Well, maybe I will have to check out his <laughs> show one day.
3: <laughs> you should.
2: It's a thrill. In the meantime, what do you think? Uh, oh, one of the other conspiracies that we didn't really mention is that, of course, the Clinton campaign supporters believe uh, wholeheartedly that almost all of these are. Trumped-up accusations, maybe that's a poor choice of words.
3: Trumped-up, trickle-down accusations. Yeah,
2: Trumped-up accusations uh, uh, meant to just discredit somebody. So that's also something in the mix. Whether you support or oppose Hillary Clinton, whether you support or oppose Donald Trump, whether you decided, you know what, I'm not going to buy into this false dichotomy, I'm going to vote for whatever candidate I actually believe in, even if they don't have it. A- Snowball's chance in Death Valley. But most importantly, y'all,
1: Happy Halloween!
0: Halloween.
1: Cause that's what really matters.
2: Okay, so if you want to find some of the stories we've been posting that haven't made it to air for one reason or another, you can visit us at Facebook, at Twitter, and at Instagram. We are Conspiracy Stuff, the first two, Conspiracy Stuff show at the third one. Uh, you can find every single episode that we have ever done on our website, com. And most importantly, uh, your best ideas for this show come from you. We'd like to hear from you directly.
3: So, if you don't want to do any of those things, or if you have seen Julian Assange and you confirm, you can confirm that he is alive and well. Send us an email. We are conspiracyathowstuffworks.com.